Like many of you, I'm curious about several topics, and what better way to learn than to speak directly with the people who have the answers that you're looking for? My name is Costa. Welcome to Founder Views. That's what this channel is all about. You're going to hear me pick the brains of thought leaders, CEOs, politicians, and business experts about subjects that I'm thinking about or working on at any given time. From economics, business, real estate, investing, Bitcoin, lifestyle, politics, and much, much more. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hannah, very nice to see you again. How are you? Good. How are you? Very well, very well. So uh, I was very excited to speak with you, uh, as you know. So, I, you know, just for some context and background, I came across you on Twitter very randomly uh, off like a retweet or something. You immediately caught my attention because uh, what you're what you're talking about is something that has been on my mind for quite some time with just the schooling system in general. Uh, I have two young kids, one on the way, my oldest starting kindergarten. It's in September. So I, I've had questions and this stuff has been on my mind for, for quite a while about the traditional school system and if it's the best place for my kids. And uh, I know a lot of parents in my network and uh, people, family and, and things who definitely have similar questions, I know for a fact, and I know they'll find this helpful and valuable. So uh, here we are. Thank you so much for, for connecting. Yeah, I was so excited when you reached out. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I'm excited to see where the next hour and change takes us. <laughs> me too, me too. So tell us about yourself um, in, in your background and what you're all about right now. Yeah, so I ended up in alternative education entirely by accident. I went to a Montessori-inspired preschool in kinder kindergarten, and then I grew up homeschooled first through 12th grade. So to me, all of this weird educational stuff that I talk about was just my normal day-to-day -day life. And after I graduated from high school, I decided to skip college and I went and worked for an alternative uh, higher education program called Praxis that is basically a startup apprenticeship program for young people who want to go work in business but don't want to spend four years in business school. They land apprenticeships at high growth startups and gain the portfolio experience they need to have a business career that way. Um, and that experience really solidified for me a lot of this alternative education stuff from just personal experience to much broader theory and practice. Um, and by the time I left Praxis, I was sort of resigned to the fact that I was going to be working in alternative education for the foreseeable future because I just care a lot about it. And I know a lot about it because it's been 20 plus years now that I've been immersed in it. And I feel really strongly that I got incredibly lucky to have such a great education experience. And I know that part of the reason that I was able to have such a great experience is because my parents found people who had taken alternative paths and had talked about their experiences and where they'd ended up after taking those paths. And it kind of gave my parents the, the reassurance that not sending me to traditional school was going to be an okay thing to do. And I'd probably turn out all right. And so I feel really strongly like I want to talk about this stuff too, because there are a lot yeah. of kids out there who are really smothered by the traditional education system. And that makes me very sad. And I want as many of those kids as possible to be able to have a really 
vibrant and thriving childhood that sets them up for life success without feeling beholden to the traditional paths and the traditional well you're just supposed to do this because some bureaucrat once upon a time said that everybody should um so I feel really strongly like this is something that I want to talk about a lot because I want to help those kids I love it yeah that's it's it's such an important time and it's so relevant right now and I think uh, I think the spotlight is on alternative schooling now more than ever before and I think uh, part of that is is probably like COVID and it kind of accelerated and 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 brought these questions in people's heads during the last uh, two and a half years. So uh, in that sense, I think, it, you know, it's a great thing. Uh, so you, you were, you've been, you were homeschooled your entire, your entire life, basically, yeah. right? From kindergarten to grade 12? First through 12. First through 12. Okay. How was that experience? Like, how, how would you describe this? I know this could be a very lengthy answer, but, you know, in a, in a concise way, like, how was that experience? It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, I had such an incredibly idyllic childhood, and I didn't really realize how unique that was <laughs> until I became an adult. Um, my elementary education was very... Um, almost whimsical actually it was very inspired by waldorf schools which are a very kind of whimsical sort of education that's very focused on nature and art and um, like very hands-on activities and so when i was in elementary school like we did all the standard you know we learned grammar and we learned math but the majority of my education was we'd go for nature walks and we'd learn how to identify all of the different wildflowers. And then there would, it would rain and all the mushrooms would pop up and we'd learn how to identify all the different types of mushrooms. And we'd like draw botany books and we would do lots of art and we'd learn about, like we'd learn about different um, branches of mythology and we'd illustrate the myths that we were learning about. And it was just a very beautiful education and it's also mm-hmm. far more efficient than being in traditional classrooms for seven hours a day so we do school in a couple hours a day and then the rest of the time I was free to play and explore and run around outside and build projects and I did lots of very self-directed activities because of all of the space and the freedom that I had um, I had one one sister. She's six years younger than I am, and she was my uh, my twenty four seven playmate. And we got into all kinds of trouble and adventures together. Um, <laughs> so that was elementary school, and then we got a lot more academic in middle school and high school. And I was a really academic kid, and at the time, we didn't know if I was going to be college bound or not. But we hadn't spent a lot of time researching alternatives to college, so we kind of assumed I would be. So we spent a lot of time doing like making sure that all the boxes were checked that if I decided to take the college route I'd have everything that I needed so I did like all the standard science and math and English credits or whatever you want to call them that I'm supposed to get but there was still a lot of room for customization and we used a lot of online resources when I was in middle school and high school so a lot of video programs a lot of Um, resources online we did for high school I used the teaching company or the great courses which is basically just recorded college lecture series by um, 
basically the best professors in the country on whatever area they're recording a lecture series on. It's like the the best expert on Greek history and the best expert on, um, I don't know, classical literature. And it's recorded and designed for uh, continued ed for adults who are curious about this stuff. But it was great for me in high school too. So I did all the kind of the standard stuff you were supposed to do, but then I was such a nerd and I wanted to add as many classes as I possibly could. So I did like a deep dive into um, like I did medieval literature one year and read a bunch of medieval literature and listened to a bunch of lectures on it. And I did an oceanography course and I did an anatomy course and I found videos of cadaver dissections for like medical school students. And I watched those and oh. thought it was just like incredibly fascinating. Um, for my senior year of high school, I thought it'd be really cool to read the great books or like the Western canon for English. So I listened to a lecture series on that and read as many of the great books as I could. So I had this very eclectic education that kind of was following the trajectory of what you're supposed to do in high school, but also was like very much picking up things that I didn't realize at the time, but I realized afterwards is actually like what you do in college. Um, And it was really tailored around my interests because I could choose whatever I wanted to study. And my parents basically gave me the reins in high school. And like, I chose what I was going to study. I found all the resources that I was going to use. I gave myself assignments. I gave myself deadlines. I'm the one who made sure it was all getting done by the end of the year. I gave myself my own grades. Like it was all, it was all me. My parents were there to make sure that I was meeting the state requirements and had everything I needed. But that was a really cool experience too, because it taught me a lot of self-ownership, which is a really important life skill that most kids don't get at all. Yeah, that's cool. That all sounds just so like incredible, but at the same time, just so different than than what everyone is used to. Yeah. Um. So, so just describe the the logistics of like homeschooling. Like, what is it actually like? Is it your parents? like more involved with you is it just all online like what's the actual like setup of being homeschooled really depends there's a lot of different ways that you can homeschool your kids um so the experience that i had is not necessarily even the norm among homeschoolers or like consistent among most homeschoolers because everybody's creating this tailored experience for their kid and their individual needs So for me, in elementary school, it was like when we'd quote unquote do school, it would mean that my mom and my sister and I would get together like in the living room or at the table or sometimes we just sit on the stairs or like wherever we wanted to hang out and we'd she'd read to us or she'd kind of like explain what we were doing and then she'd either give us worksheets we used curriculum sometimes for like grammar and math and so she'd like give us the next lesson um or we'd be reading a book of a book about mythology or the history of europe and she'd read us a chapter or whatever and it was just sort of like we'd hang out for a couple hours and we'd do whatever the the lesson or the project or the the exploration for the day was and then we also did we were part of homeschool co-ops homeschool groups which 
ours was not called this at the time, but it was kind of similar. It was like a cross between science classes and a forest school, which I don't know if you're familiar with forest schools at all, but they're, uh, it's worth Googling. Is it like a Waldorf school? Say what? Is it like a Waldorf? No, it's for homeschoolers or people who are, it's not, because it's, usually it's one day a week. And it's, there's, there's like guides that you can use on how to structure your forest school. But a lot of people, they go to parks every week and they mm. do outside activities. And it's, it's for younger kids, especially like elementary age. Um, and what we did was kind of similar to that where we took classes at our county park with the naturalists and it was much more uh, academic and science-based than what they do in a forest school but we'd also go for hikes in the woods every week with our homeschool group Mm. and we'd learn how to track different kinds of animals and how to identify different types of wild edibles and how to build fires and build shelters and all kinds of survival skills it was really cool yeah and our co-op would also pool resources to hire a drama teacher or hire a Spanish teacher and and do some of these types of classes that's a little bit harder to do at home on your mm-hmm. own. So we do that one day a week. But besides that, it was pretty much all home-based. Yeah, and then interesting. in middle school and high school, it was a lot more we found online resources that... Mm-hmm we used for most of the classes because they were more advanced and in high school it was pretty much all these lecture series from the teaching company and then another company called modern scholar and then i took a couple MOOCs through coursera massive open online courses for those who aren't familiar um tried a couple of those through coursera i did um we did some supplementation through Khan Academy and other sites like that. So it was kind of a mixture. We'd choose the subjects that we wanted to be studying and then we'd go find the resources that we needed. But Mm. for me in middle school and especially high school, it was mostly me sitting at the computer until my schoolwork was done for the day, watching lectures and writing essays and doing problems and taking notes and stuff like that. Very academic. So, so from from what I'm hearing, like even like your homeschooling experience was like is not linear at all. Like it it just goes into many different directions, and you know, like is that accurate? Like it just kind of is there is it like it, describe like the structure? Is there any structure in it? Yeah, we did. It actually was pretty structured because we were following fairly closely this the yearly standards that you are supposed to meet to be on like the average academic trajectory, especially because again, we thought I was college bound for a really long time because I loved learning in another life. I probably would be a PhD student right now because I was that academic and I was that interested in learning. And there was a version of me that would have been very happy in academia forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it felt pretty linear because we'd be looking at the state standards and saying, okay, what are you supposed to be learning this year? 
what boxes are you supposed to be checking especially in high school we made sure that I was doing four years of English and each year like the things that counted as English were kind of broad one year I did a whole lecture series on how to construct great sentences and we studied like Faulkner and Joyce and all of these authors who write really beautiful and very over the top in retrospect sentences and I learned how to write like that and that was English for a year so it was kind of a lot more dynamic than what you would get in traditional school but there was a linear progression to it where we were making sure that I was sort of on the track that I needed to be if I wanted to step onto the traditional system at any point makes sense so uh, kind of like a I don't know if it's like a devil's advocate question, but something you said that's interesting. So you um, you were doing things that you sort of you were supposed to be doing, like based on the traditional system. Like, is that a little like contradictory to homeschooling in a way or do they there's still like a parallel? They go hand in hand. So that's a really great question. And my answer kind of varies based on context because it really comes down to the kids goals. I think. I say that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing kind of loosely. We were making sure that I had a year of chemistry if I decided that I wanted to go to college, but it wasn't like we were making sure that I was following everything in the school curriculum and I wasn't doing it the way that they did it in school. Like I, my dad taught me how to do titrations on the back of like on the, the, the tailgate of his pickup truck and stuff like that. We were doing like, it was much more organic than what you do in school. And it was all self-driven, which is the most important piece. I was the one who was saying, no, I think I might want to go to college. I want to make sure that I can get in. And then my mom said, well, you have to make sure if that's the case, you have to make sure that you have these specific boxes checked because that's what an admissions department requires. But I was the one who wanted it. And that's really important. Um, Yeah. Because that's one of the distinctions between a true, I even hesitate to say homeschooling, like a true unschooling experience. I think a lot of people think that homeschooling is just bringing the classroom home. And that's not what it's supposed to be at all. If you're just replicating school at home, you're doing it wrong, in my opinion. And I feel that very strongly. Um, But a true at-home self-directed education experience, the kids at the forefront, and it's what the kid wants is like that's the most important thing they should be driving the experience so for me I was veering pretty closely towards making sure that all the rough standards on paper were being met because I wanted to make sure again that I could do the things that I thought I wanted to do but Mm -hmm. I was also the guinea pig kid I was the oldest one so my parents were also kind of figuring out as they went what how closely they needed to make sure they were meeting standards if we ever decided to go back to the traditional path. And I think they felt a little bit less pressure around that with my younger sister after they kind of Mm. saw with my experience how all of this actually works and also how easy it is to catch up to what they're doing in school if you ever actually do decide to go back. Um, But I think there's a pretty broad spectrum for how you can teach your kids at home. And I think it really comes down to what the kid once if the kid has no interest in academics and they want to go do something else entirely then why would you care about the college standards um it was kind of tailored around where we thought i was going at the time which evolved as i went through high school 
makes sense. I'm curious about your parents. Like how, so two questions, like how influential were your parents? Like kind of, um, did they somehow like nudge you in certain directions? Like, you you know, you should focus on this and, and like, what's their background or like work-wise and. Yeah. My parents are amazing. And I am very close with both of them. And I thank them on like a monthly basis for homeschooling me. I'm so grateful. Probably partly because I'm working in education now. So I'm like, all these things that I'm doing are all thanks to you. Thank you. (laughs) But they, so my parents um, both went to college. They were both good students, both went to college and both designed their own majors in college and did like a very hybrid hacked together study plan independently they didn't meet each other till like 10 years after this but Mm -hmm. they had a pretty self-directed approach to their own education they're both very chronically curious people we own a ridiculous amount of books growing up and our favorite hobby was going to all the used book sales in the county actually two counties Um, (laughs) so (laughs) I definitely was heavily influenced by just their way of life. They'd mm-hmm. always be reading books and be learning about things and be all still. I'll call my dad on a Sunday and I'll be like, Hey, what are you up to today? He's like, Oh, studying. Like I'm learning about this thing today. Um, yeah. So awesome. I definitely got a lot of that by just osmosis from being around them. But yeah. they were my, when I was born, my parents ran a construction company um and then right around when we started homeschooling so i would have been six my dad transitioned to working from home which i did not realize as a child how incredibly abnormal it is to have your dad work from home and your mom be a stay-at-home mom so she can homeschool the kids and all of you are basically all home together 24 7 as a family unit i think it's less weird now because remote work is more common but 20 years ago that was not really a thing and Mm. i remember when i first started to grasp that normal families only saw each other at dinner time and i thought that was so incredibly strange (laughs) so strange because we were just together all the time and we lived on this dirt road out in the country couldn't really see the neighbors it was just us all the time hanging out having our adventures and so my parents were very present both of them were really present and really involved which is one of the things that really excites me about remote work too because that enables more families to have that which I'm really grateful for I love my family I think they're really cool but yeah, my parents definitely had a background of and many years of pursuing their interests and learning independently before they had kids. So mm-hmm. I think my sister and I both just sort of that was the way it was. So we both picked that up from them, too. Yeah. Would you would you consider your family um, they just like traditional, like normal family or were you guys like outliers compared to like your friends family or like everyone was pretty everything was pretty much status quo like your your family your parents i mean or was there something different i think i think that we we were very different from probably most of the people around us and I had a very vague concept of that growing up because 
our prime like we would hang out with enough home, other homeschoolers that I sort of had this baseline if I have other homeschool friends and they stay at home all day too so this is just sort of normal right and I think even among the homeschoolers yeah. we probably were kind of weird but I didn't grasp that but I think I feel like in high school I kind of got that we were like I always let me back that up I always conceptually understood that we were different but I never yeah. grasped it like I never right. I, I knew that we were different I could say that, but I didn't fully understand what it meant until honestly, probably even after high school. Like I got it in high school too, but it wasn't until I started interacting with adults yeah. in the adult world as an adult that I started to grasp that my background was so different from them that I just had this really different, I don't know baseline for how the world works and how I process information and I think I feel like even still I don't quite grasp it I'm like yeah I'm not that different and then I'll talk to people and I'll be like wait a second why does everybody think that this background is so weird maybe it is like it doesn't feel that exciting to me but <laughs> yeah, yeah again conceptually I grasp that it is yeah different. okay I got you so looking back like what would you say was the most uh, valuable part of being homeschooled like in a nutshell, like what's one thing that really stands out? That is an incredibly difficult question to answer. I'm sure, yeah. Because it's not just one thing. Um, and it's very- like the reason I ask it is like, I'm, I'm sort of asking it to myself. Like if I ask myself that, like what's the most valuable part of like my like schooling through childhood and like- Yeah. I mean, it's like- nothing really comes to mind the if i had to say something right now probably like the like the friendships you know the the playing outside recesses like you know the things outside of school yeah that makes sense i have this is a very loosely held answer i might change my mind on this in like a week when i think about it hard yeah. because i haven't thought about this in a while but i think there's there's two things that come to mind immediately and one is i never lost my love of learning which a lot of people do. A lot of people lose their sense of curiosity and their innate passion yeah. for learning stuff because it just gets yeah. smothered by all of the coercion and all of the have-to-dos. And you start to associate learning at all with this very unpleasant, resistance-filled, coercive process where your teacher says, all right, it's 9.15, so we're all going to sit down and do a math worksheet. And you're just like, I don't understand this, and I hate this. And But I have to do it. I can't get out of it. And the like that becomes what you associate with school and learning, and all yeah. of the interest slowly dies. You just want to get out of it as much as possible. And yeah. I didn't really have that experience. I did with a couple – things and math was one of them because my parents did take a pretty schooly approach to math early on where it's like you know you just got to sit down and and do the work because you know you're just like you're you understand it you're just being lazy you need to practice it basically was the implication and I'm totally convinced that the reason I dislike math as an adult is because of that experience and that if I had not had to do math until I became naturally curious about it because there was yeah. some end that I wanted to accomplish that required math that I would 
love math, but I just have this negative association about math because it's just, you know, killing drill worksheets and that's not fun. So I think for a, a lot of kids, they just lose their curiosity altogether because it's just constrained in these tiny little boxes and these tiny little channels instead of allowed to be this vast expansive thing that it's supposed to be. And I never lost that. And it's as an adult, I pick up books on weird topics all the time where I just go, this sounds interesting. I want to know more about this. I'm traveling to a new place. I go read a whole bunch on the internet about the history of the place. I want to know about the economy and what industries the place was built on and what the natural flora and fauna is. And I'm just so, and what the weather is like and what the demographics are like. I'm just so curious about things. And I know like a lot of people are, but I also know that a lot of people have that smothered in school. And so that was Mm -hmm. really important for me. And then I also learned to be very self-directed and that I know for certain is a big differentiator between myself and most people who go through public school, like the average person who goes through public school. Because again, in high school, Well, actually, let me back up. In elementary school, most of my day was mine. So I could be incredibly self-directed and I could go build projects and I could go rig up weird contraptions using blocks and yarn and like scarves and like make weird forts and and contraptions in the living room and like whatever I wanted to do, go build forts in the woods. And so I was always a very internally driven person because I just have an idea and I'd go do that thing and then in middle school and high school I pretty much was given the reins for everything and so I'd get up in the morning and I'd say all right today I want to go read uh, a couple chapters of Sophocles and then I want to go and listen to this oceanography lecture and then I'm going to um do some chemistry problems and then I'm going to write an essay and then like that's my day today and it was all my doing nobody was standing there saying you need to do this stuff and all these things you were doing like you were genuinely interested like you wanted to to learn about yeah I was very enamored by the idea of a classical education very Hmm. very enamored by it and wanted it and legitimately enjoyed the process of it so but what about what about like um the side of like how do, like you, you you don't know what you don't know so like if you if someone like pushed you to do something you're like no this doesn't sound good i don't want to do it but like if you did you'd you'd probably you'd maybe love it like what about you know how do you how do you like solve for that or is that important i don't know if you have to i think that there's my mom always called herself our facilitator, not our teacher. And I've, you know, she started telling me that when I was probably like second or third grade. And I loved that. She'd always correct me when I say my mom's my teacher. She's like, I'm not really your teacher. I'm your facilitator. And I just adored that even as a kid and especially as an adult. And I think, you know, obviously there's so much nuance and context in individual people's experience with this. But as a general rule, I think it really kind of depends on the kid and the parent involved, like what, what the best approach is. But I think, I think it's really like, you do have to trust a child's innate inner compass and you have to teach them how to trust it. 
you have to mm -hmm. reinforce that they can trust it because that's far more important than any specific subject that they might miss out on. Because right. I think, I really do think that when properly nurtured, and a lot of people's curiosities are not well balanced and nurtured because again, they've just been stifled by years and years of coercion. But yeah. when your curiosity is properly nurtured, it does serve as a true compass because the things that you're drawn to, even if you're not going to do anything with them immediately, you're probably going to be drawn to them again later. And they're probably mm -hmm. going to relate and connect in some way with other things that you're drawn to. So if you just keep chasing the things that you're curious about, you'll start to notice patterns and overlaps that make clear where you should be spending more of your energy and more of your time yeah. and yeah. what's a useful place for you to be spending energy Makes sense. and what types of things you might want to do in a more professional or traditional capacity. And so I think there's a lot of room for facilitators to put things in front of kids and encourage them and suggest like, Hey, what if we try this? Like, I don't think that it's always the parent's job to just get out of the way. I think it's more complex than that. And again, it really depends on the specific temperament of the kid and the stated goals of all parties involved. But I do think there's a lot to be said for exposing kids to things, but not necessarily forcing them to do the things, yeah. like maybe sell them on the value of the thing, but let them chase the things that they're naturally curious about too, because they might not care at all about math in elementary school like I did. But by the time they get to high school and they want to understand physics and chemistry and they realize that math is a prerequisite to that and they don't have any negative associations to math because it was not right. something that they associate with like being bored out of their minds, hating life, sitting down to do some worksheet because somebody said they had to, they'll probably eat up all the math that they need to understand physics and chemistry True. because it's something that they experience a joy in doing because again, they're curious about it and there's a purpose to it. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point. And you said this word a couple of times, coercion, which which is an interesting word. And it's it's kind of true. Like if you really think about the school system now, it's like the only institution like I could think of that since its existence, like however many hundreds of years, like it has not changed or evolved. Like the concept of like one teacher sitting in front of, standing in front of handful of kids teaching the same thing in the exact same way to all these kids like it anyone with with any sort of logic can see that that's doesn't seem right you know every kid's so unique and different and um yeah i don't know it, so in a way when you say coercion it's like in a way you, you are coercing these kids you know to yeah to grow up in a certain way and interesting yeah the whole system is built on coercion because there's no yeah. way that you could get a whole classroom of kids to all do the same thing in a structured manner if you weren't in if you weren't exerting force and you weren't for sure you weren't struck setting up punishments that they for them to fear if they don't do the thing that you want them to do and the whole idea of one-size-fits-all education is so fundamentally flawed it's such a broken idea and it makes me laugh when people talk about school reform because to solve all of the educational woes that we have Nick. in America, because it's like, wait a second, it's not, 
it it's not that we just like make some tweaks to the system and then it's going to be fine the entire system is flawed like the the assumptions that it's based upon yeah. are inaccurate like we have to go way farther back we have to go all the way back to yeah. first principles of what it's education way is supposed beyond to be. a reform yeah. yeah it's way beyond throwing tax dollars to it yes um <laughs> So what what would you say it's so let's talk about that like what's wrong with the current public uh, school system? I mean, it probably would be that. faster to talk about what's right about it because it's not much. Um, there's so much that's wrong about it, and for anybody who's actually interested in this, I would highly, highly, highly recommend reading John Taylor Gatto's book "Dumbing Us Down." Gatto was a a public school teacher in New York City schools for 30 years. And he worked in everything from the wealthiest neighborhoods to the poorest neighborhoods in New York. And he was an award-winning school teacher. He won New York City Teacher of the Year in, I think, 90 or 91. Um, and he, that same year, he resigned from his position with an op-ed in the New York Times talking about why the education system in America is so flawed and he has a bunch of books that are really phenomenal, but dumbing us down is the most accessible entry point in my opinion. And he, he walks through basically this idea that there's a whole bunch of implicit lessons that school is teaching kids by nature of the way it's structured that have nothing to do with the academic lessons that are sort of conditioning them for how to engage not only with school, but also with life that are actually really mm -hmm. detrimental to kids. And I think that's a book yeah. that if, if a parent has a kid in public school or they're thinking about sending their kid to public school, they should absolutely read it because at least then you're going in with your eyes open, even if you still decide that that's the best yeah. path for you, at least you know what's going on. And I think that's really important. Um, yeah. But I think there's, there's so much that's fundamentally flawed about the way that we do education. Um, our education system is, I don't know how much you know about this already, but its it was designed basically in simplest form to produce factory workers. Like it's, it's designed like a factory and it's designed to mass produce in the same way that a factory mass produces, um, like all the individual units that you need to fill all the individual boxes that make up society. So there's like all these categories of types of things that you need for society to function and all of these units that fill each of these categories need to be fairly consistent and fairly similar and they all have to understand how to follow rules the same way for the system to function properly. And so school is a factory that's mass producing factory workers and then you know that's shifted to corporate workers and like all of these kind of like mm -hmm. pillar industries in our economy all of the different pieces that you need for each of these that's pillars to function. Yeah. and it really has no bearing whatsoever on the individual and it also really honestly even does a poor job at what it's designed to do because for a lot of these career paths that kid it's, it's setting kids up to go down um, the academic outcomes are rather abysmal and kids aren't even necessarily well prepared to go down a lot of these pathways. So even in its intended purpose, it's very flawed. 
that's that's an interesting point and to even like go um, go beyond that um how the concept of you know schooling it's it's producing like quote-unquote factory workers like corporate workers and uh but the educators the teachers themselves like they're all funneling through the exact same system and universities and by and large they probably share like the same ideologies and you know in that sense so and like they're all essentially teaching the same type of values to the kids as well right yeah so it's like yeah it goes even beyond that but um yeah so there's are are there would you say do you notice any uh like call them maybe bad habits that kids that go through the the school system uh that continue to have at, in in adulthood that they picked up because of the school system yeah Does that makes sense there's there's a lot of them um deferring to authority is a big one like everything mm. about the way school is structured is predicated on you must defer to authority the authority is always right and that's a good one that's yeah. actually really detrimental in a lot of different scenarios that you encounter throughout your life especially if you want to be an innovator of some kind and a lot of people who are innovators are also people who did poorly in school um either because yes. they realized early on that it's kind of ridiculous that you have to defer to authority or because just like by nature they're not good at that um but like it's not an accident that there's a correlation there are people who get really, really good at doing super well in school they're really good at hearing instructions and doing exactly what those instructions ask them to do in that's the way true. they know that the authority is yeah. going to appreciate. Thinking on it, like I went to university in the you know, typical system yeah. and like just anecdotally now, just like thinking of like the really good students, the straight A students, they're all really good, like just corporate like employees, you yeah. know, which is not a bad thing, but that's sort of, you know, again, anecdotally, that's what I sort of see in my network would you agree yeah sounds similar with you i guess yeah i'm i'm paraphrasing this i'm not getting this this quote or saying right and i can't remember who to attribute to attribute it to either um but basically the idea is that um like it's mostly c level students that go on to actually start companies and do great things because they're used to both not being super successful all the time so they have a higher tolerance yeah. for failure but they also um they also have a like they're just not afraid of breaking rules um and i don't know the yeah. the actual validity of that statement from a statistics standpoint but i think it's a really interesting concept to think about um the correlation there i think people become really deferential in school and like i mean think about it you spend 12 13 plus years being told that the teacher's always right and if you break the rules you're going to get sent to the principal's office and you're a bad kid or a slacker if you're questioning mm -hmm. the authority too much and like anybody who has any ounce of people pleasing in them is going to get those tendencies beaten out of them and that's actually what you need those are the tendencies that you need to have in order to have new ideas and be willing to test them in the real world and and have strongly held convictions yeah. and 
you're not necessarily always yeah. right, but those are the things that drive innovation and progress um, that give you the the gumption that you need to go be an entrepreneur or, or you know, start your own thing, develop your own ideas. So that's a big one. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see stats on that as well, actually. Now I'm then thinking further. I think for like I'm thinking of it, I'm an outlier myself. Like I went to university and all that, graduated, but I'm I'm an entrepreneur and I've always been been a business owner, but thinking again in my network, uh, most people that I know, if not all of them, other than maybe one or two that I can think of that are business owners and entrepreneurs, uh, like either didn't finish high school, like maybe dropped out of college or university, like were never really good students. Um, so yeah, I'd be, I'd love, I'm sure there's stats out there somewhere. I'd be very curious to, uh, yeah. And we hear a lot of the stories about the the billionaire dropouts like Peter Thiel and Bill Gates. And it's kind of funny because they're actually framed as an argument against dropping out of school sometimes where people are like, yeah, I know Bill Gates did it, but you're not going to be Bill Gates. So you need to keep going to school. And (laughs) which is such a funny argument, terrible (laughs) message. but it's also, we know about the outliers because they're famous, but there's also like there's a real underrepresentation of in the conversation about the yeah. the average people who leave school and what they go on to do. Yeah, I can see one of the the arguments um, like against uh, alternative schooling or, or just arguments for a traditional school system. One of them being like the social element. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> um, I have a maybe controversial take on this because that actually was really real for me growing up partly because I was just very committed to my interests and my convictions and a lot of the homeschoolers I knew were much more mainstream in terms of their interests they weren't in public school but they were still following a lot of the fads and the trends that were you know spreading through public school and that was kind of tough for me because I would have a harder time making friends because I just find found those things boring. And so I had a lot of friends in elementary school from our homeschool groups, but then in middle school, there was some schisms in our homeschool group. There was some drama between the parents and the group kind of split up. And that's a really awkward time for that to happen in middle school because then your friend group kind of gets schismed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so middle school was tough. I had a handful of friends, but no like super, super close friends. And I'm a fairly extroverted person. So that was a little bit tough for me. Um, and I did extracurricular activities. Like I sang in choirs and stuff. So I had social interactions. I just didn't have like any besties that I was hanging out with all the time. And then in high school, I had three really close friends and my best friend lived in England and my other two really close friends. Um, one of them lived like an hour away and one of them was, like I saw her, she said, we sang in choir together. So I saw her there, but we weren't always in the same groups. So it was just kind of like, it was always an effort to, if you're, when you're 
one of your best friends lives more than an hour away. Like you guys kind of have to meet in the middle. And when you guys don't have your driver's license yeah. yet, that means that like somebody has to yeah. bring you and coordinate. And so we'd hang out For and we'd sure. do stuff together, but it wasn't like I had friends that I was around every day. And that was. And did you meet bit. these friends like in your in like homeschooling friends like online or? Yeah, my friend like... in England, I met um, online, and we were pen pals for a while, and mm. then like ended up doing we do, we do Skype New Year's Eve calls every year, where because cool. she moved back to the <laughs> state, she was living in England, but then she moved back to the U.S. Yeah. and she was in I was in Eastern time and she was in Central time, and so we do New Year's Eve calls where we'd hang out on Skype and eat snacks and party and then no, ring in the yeah. new year twice, once for me, once for her. <laughs> it was <laughs> such a good time. Cool. Um, but so we spent a lot of time Skyping and emailing and stuff. And then the friend who lived like an hour away, we met through homeschool groups and then my other friend I met through choir. And then I had a bunch of friends that weren't quite as close, but that I chat with a bunch who I met through choir and homeschool groups and stuff. Um, so I had, I had a social life. I just had this dream of what I thought public school was like. And I thought it was going to be this place where there were just all these great people that I would be besties with that I could hang out with all the time and I actually duly enrolled my freshman year of high school. I took one class for one semester at my high school because I wanted to know what it was like. Mm. And I wanted to make sure that I was making the right decision by staying home. And it was so boring. And the people yeah. bored me so much. I was just, I did not belong in public school. And wow. it was it was a real never again kind of thing. You did the whole semester? Yeah, I did. I did a whole semester. Uh, it was a one semester elective. It was a journalism class because at the time I thought I wanted to be a journalist, okay. and which I wasn't that far off. I'm a writer now, but yeah. um, the class itself was super boring, and it was supposed to be some of the like the guidance counselor told me there were going to be a whole bunch of really smart kids in the class, and I was going to love it. And I just found all of the conversations so boring, and I didn't hit it off with anybody, and I just yeah. really didn't belong there. But so for yeah. me, it actually was kind of tough at certain seasons where it would have been fun to have a more vibrant social group in high school and to be more like go hang out with my friends on Friday night and stuff, um, which didn't really happen until like I started working between my junior and senior year and then started making friends that way. But I'm also not convinced that that was a bad thing because I still was interacting with a broad array of people i had friends to talk to even if i wasn't hanging out with them in person we were still you know having all the teenage conversations about boys and about career trajectories yeah. and what we wanted to be when we grew up and the projects we were working on and all those things um so i still got like that side of my development i guess and that side of the teenage experience and I was interacting with adults all the time. And so I was still developing all of the social skills that people are so worried that homeschoolers aren't going to get. But I also was, I learned a lot of lessons about being comfortable being by myself too. And a lot of lessons about being more committed to the things that I'm interested in than I am to just doing whatever I need to do to fit in and make friends. 
which is really important. And I think that if I'd actually been in the public school system, first grade through 12th grade, I probably wouldn't have developed that because I was a real people pleaser in elementary school. So I probably would have done whatever I needed to do to make friends. And I probably wouldn't be nearly as interesting as I am now because I probably would have been just like very, very like mean because (laughs) that's what I would have needed to do to have a bunch of friends. So I think it actually was a really, really important experience for me and my development to be, to have these seasons where I was more alone. And that's a really controversial thing to say because people are so worried about your kid being socialized normally. It's such a fear for people. But I really think that it's not even necessarily a bad thing for your kid to have seasons where they don't have a ton of friends around. Um, Speaking entirely from my personal experience, I think it actually was a really good thing for me. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a really good perspective. I mean, so a question for you then relating to this. Um, so I, I, I personally believe, and I think anyone would agree, like, you know, socialization and, and social skills in general are just very important to like, you know, any successful job or business. In the most cases, it's all about relationships and, and being able to nurture and, and keep and, you know, grow relationships. Um, how, what are some ways uh, parents or, or kids uh, going through homeschooling can can still like properly instill that because I think there's it's different in my opinion at least I think uh, relationships are different like online to like physical relationships there's certain elements that that are are not the same I don't know I feel like having like a connection like in person it's it's a little different than online for whatever reason so what are some things um, you can do if you're going through the homeschooling path to to build that type of social relationship yeah that's a really good question so i think one of the things that people get hung up on when they think about socializing their homeschooled kids that's a really um unhelpful thing to get hung up on is they're really worried about kids hanging out with people their own age and Mm. it's such a weird paradigm because it, it has is. no evolutionary too, bearing whatsoever. Yeah. It's a very modern concept that kids are going to hang out only with people their own age until they're like 22 and they graduate from college. And I see it with my kids already. Like, you know, he, my oldest, let's say he's four years old and he he has so much more fun and gets along with kids that are like a little older than him, for example. You know, he doesn't like have as much fun or have the same type of fun with kids his age, right? Yeah, it's actually more natural for kids to want to learn from older kids and be around older kids or want to nurture and teach kids who are younger than them. We were designed to exist in a village or exist in a tribe where we like that's that's how our our social proclivities have evolved is to fit that type of environment where we're interacting with a broad array of people and we're raised by the whole village and that's really lacking actually in our modern true yeah our modern childhood where if you're part of a large family or you're part of a church or some other some other organization of people that has a broader array of ages 
you'll interact with a broader spectrum there, but you're still spending the average American kid is still spending most of their day in school in an mm. environment where you're exclusively hanging out with people who were born in the same calendar year as you, which is such a weird and arbitrary distinction too. Like we just drew a line in the sand. It's like anybody who happens to be over here, you're in group A. Anybody who happens to be over here, you're in group B, even though this person and this person right on the line are actually standing right next to each other. You don't get to be friends anymore. You're, you're part of different groups now. Um, and then the adult is this authority figure where you have to be like a little bit afraid of them because they can get you in trouble. And it's such a weird set of assumptions about how the world works to be teaching kids because that's not reflective in any way, shape or form of how they're going to engage with the world for the rest of their lives. You're not getting divided out by birth year at work. That's not how job groupings happen. It's like, all right, well, you were born in 1994, so you're in customer service uh, and you were born in 1997, so you're going over here and working with these people. Like, it's not how it works. So it's such a ridiculous it, idea. It so, really is. Like, <laughs> it is weird when you think about it. Like, it really truly is. Weird. A lot of these things, yeah, it is. And it's tough to, for a lot of people I can see, even for myself, like listening to this, like since birth, like you're just grown up. This is the school system is all you know. So this is how mo everyone or most people are, are wired in today's society. That's what they know. So when you start having conversations like this, it, it takes a bit of rewiring in your head almost to like, to really think about it. And like, this is an example of like the age thing. It's, it's, it's weird. Like it, it's pretty weird. Isn't that weird how, it. how much rewiring it requires to start looking yeah. at the world outside of this box. Think about how many other assumptions the vast mm. majority of us are carrying around about how the world works and what normal is and what you're supposed to do as part of your growing up process because you just went through the school system and weren't uh, weren't exposed to anything else. Like there are so many assumptions that we have that we've never even looked at because we have to take a really Descartes yeah. approach to this where we, we strip sure. away everything and we're like, what do we actually know for certain about mm -hmm. kids and about what is required to take those kids to adulthood? And then we have to slowly build back up from there because yeah again it's, even with it's the whole not, age thing it doesn't need reform the whole thing is flawed it is yeah yeah, yeah this age thing is funny like come adulthood when you get past a certain age it's like like i guarantee even you like all your friends are like varying of different ages like yeah. it doesn't matter when you're past like 20 or whatever yeah like, i'm i'm 25 most of my friends actually are either like 35 to 40 or they're like 20 yeah, to 23 i have only, i have very few friends who are actually in their mid-20s yeah, like man it's just coincidental it's just people that i've met along the way that i think are really cool that i want to be friends with um but it's really it's funny because i was that way even as a kid too where i'd have friends in a pretty broad spectrum and i had grown-up friends I had a pen pal who was a friend of my grandma's. She was this retired woman who loved to garden, who uh, got really excited about a project I was telling her about at one point. And we started writing each other letters and she was a really close friend of mine growing up. And she was like in her seventies and yeah. it was just like, it felt so normal to me that that's, I was friends with the ladies of the post office and I was friends with the librarians and I was, 
-hmm. you know, I'd, I'd go out and engage in the real world with my mom and my dad, but primarily my mom, because my dad was working during the day. So my mom would be the one going out running errands and I'd go with her. And that's how I learned social skills was just by going out in the world and doing. And I think it's actually incredibly easy to quote unquote socialize your kid. If they're not in public school, you just take them out into the world and you let them engage with the world in the same way that you do. And they're going to learn everything that they need to actually be um, like an, a competent, effective adult and be able to navigate the social world. And the idea that, well, they're not going to learn how to interact with kids their own age. That part's easy. Like that part's easy to gain later if you need it. Plus they will meet kids their own age. Some there's like a million different things that you can do to help your kid meet other kids after school activities, sports, extracurriculars, homeschool groups, yeah. library programs, theater classes. There's so much that you can do to expose your kid to other kids. But it's like most kids actually come out of school with horrible social skills. You'll, you'll, you'll see this all the time where there'll be public school, middle schoolers who go to an event where they're the only, they go to a party or something with their parents, friends, and they're the only kids yeah. there. And they'll just sit in their, on the couch buried in their phones because they feel so awkward talking to adults. And then you'll see a homeschool yeah, kid in the same setting and they'll be really excitedly talking to everybody about the things that they're yeah. working on because they're, it doesn't feel weird to them to talk to adults, whereas it feels weird to public yeah. schoolers to talk to adults mm-hmm. and kids older than them and kids younger than them, which is so strange. <laughs> That's a strange one. It, it seems like a lot of your homeschooling, because um, you mentioned a few like programs and stuff, was just on the computer, right? Yeah. Do you see any uh, negatives to like learning in front of a computer every day? Um. Yeah, there's a few. Versus like person to person, yeah. There's a few. Um, and this goes both ways, right? Because there, are, I, I also have a list of a few things that I actually think are more detrimental about living, learning in person versus learning on the computer. Right. Um, I do think that being in front of a screen is not really ideal. It's hard on your eyes. It's hard on your body to sit all day. It's sort of, you kind of get this tunnel vision staring at the computer, which is true for adults too, but I think it's just a little bit rougher on kids. And I think there's, like being on electronic devices definitely alters your focus and the way that your brain works. Like I remember feeling a shift when I was about 14 and I started spending a lot more time on screens and it kind of scared me. Like I used to have a really long attention span for reading and mm-hmm. then that started to decline when I was in high school and I would spend more time on the computer. My attention span started to shrink and I had to be deliberate about making sure that I was reading for longer periods of time and maintaining that muscle. Yeah. And so I think there are things about being on a computer that just, they just change the the way your brain works a little bit. And that's, that's something to definitely be aware of. Um, and the way that you interact with people is definitely different. Um, you can absolutely make friends in online classes, and there are a lot of really cool online programs that are being built that I'm actually really excited about watching. Things like Synthesis and Sora Schools, um, the Socratic Experience. There's a lot of really cool, innovative online schools for elementary through high schoolers, and kids make really close friends going through those schools, yeah. and I think that's 
probably going to be a really big yeah part i, I want to talk about yeah i want to talk about like recommendations and stuff but but back to this point which i'm i'm just yeah. thinking now to myself about the computer part of it and i i agree with you in the sense that it 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 does something to your brain and like how you interact and think and work yeah. uh, and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. So if you're going through the homeschooling path, like how do you balance that? Um, what are some tips or, or That is the million dollar question actually, because it's okay. a lot easier in theory than it is in practice, especially if like all your kids' friends mm -hmm. have lots of access to their electronic devices and then you're trying to limit it. It's just, yeah. you're, or you're trying to give your kid agency, but then you also want to establish rules. It's tough. Um, I can only speak from experience as on, from the kid's perspective on this one. Um, I wasn't allowed to have a, like a handheld device until I was 14. And mm -hmm. I feel like allowed is maybe a little bit of a strong term because if I'd been like, no, I'm going to get it. I'm going to go like find a way to make money and I'm going to earn everything that I need to go buy one. I feel like maybe the answer would have been different, um, which yeah. I actually kind of like as a line for kids. Like if they're willing to go the extra mile to figure out how to make this thing happen, generally speaking, I think that's in, in very broad terms, I pro rewarding that kind of behavior. Although yeah. again, like always, always nuance, always, always complexity, but generally yeah. speaking, I think that that's a good thing for kids to develop that overrides um, maybe some of the things that, are negatives of them having whatever it is that they're trying to purchase but yeah i wasn't it wasn't until i was 14 that my parents were like okay like this can be on your christmas list and this is like a realistic thing to be asking for <laughs> yeah. um and for me it was just an, I, I got an ipod touch at that point i didn't have like an actual phone but it served all the same functions and that's when i really noticed my reading capacity my reading muscles start to atrophy but hmm. besides that i had a laptop that i used for school but it wasn't really like a free for all. Like I didn't have a Netflix account or anything. I wasn't spending tons of time on YouTube. I was using it pretty much primarily for school. And part of that was me too, because I was kind of get tired of staring at the screen after school was done. But it was also like sort of, it was my dad's laptop originally. And it was like the school laptop. Um, but then for my own projects, like I didn't have email on that computer or anything. Um, if I wanted to, if I wanted to be like emailing my best friend in England and then who then moved to Kansas, or if I wanted to be writing a novel, which was one of my favorite things to do when I was in high school, like all of that stuff was on my mom's computer. So I had to, and she used the computer too. So I had to be like, Hey mom, can I use the computer? And then eventually she'd need the computer. She'd be like, okay, you have like 15 minutes and you need to get off the computer. So it was just yeah. this very structured, my access was limited. So I couldn't right. completely succumb to the, I couldn't su completely succumb to the, the sort of addictiveness. I'm looking for a better word than this and it's not coming, but basically the addictiveness of yeah. that, that technology can, can present. Um, and obviously like once I was, on a handheld device that changed quite a bit but the I think the access being limited was helpful for me and 
I think it definitely worked and I don't necessarily have like, I'm not a parent yet. So I don't necessarily even feel qualified to give very sweeping opinions on how to handle technology uh, regulation now, because the world is very different than it was even when yeah, I was in high school that's a tough one. 10 years ago. And so I think it's, it's a tough question to answer, but that's, those are the initial things that I would add to the mix. I don't know if that even, how well that even answers your question, but those are my <laughs> initial thoughts. Yeah. No, fair enough. For sure. Um, switching gears slightly here. Um, I'm curious if you know, uh, happen to know, but it, it, do you know of any like data that compares outcomes of people that went through alternative schooling compared to traditional school? Like for example, level of like, social skill, monetary success, like intellect, like, is there anything like that? So that's a great question. And that's something I've been thinking about quite a bit too, because that is something I would like to compile. I think it's, it's a hard data set to find, or at least it appears to be. Um, I've been digging for it for a while and I don't have, I don't have, um, like a comprehensive data set yet sidebar if anybody's listening to this and does have stuff please send it my way that would be awesome <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on twitter at hannah frankman i do accept DMs. <laughs> yeah that'd be a good one but uh i think there's a lot of anecdotal data about um like colleges who love applications from homeschoolers because hmm. they tend to perform better in college especially the first couple of years they just transition so much better because they're more self-directed and they also tend to be a little more responsible about education as opposed to kids who've been in school that's that's interesting now that i'm thinking about it so in my in first year university yeah. like i I, I was a good student in high school got good grades i sort of cruised through it but first year university i actually struggled because i took the same like high school approach of like you know, I don't have to study, like I'll read the night before a test yeah. and like, don't keep up with the work. So like, it really like hit me hard. Uh, so I had to learn a lot of that, like self-direction, the discipline, the all those elements that I can see a lot of homeschoolers already uh, have that or built that. So yeah, that's, it's, that's it's a good funny point. because people totally see that. worry about their homeschoolers getting into college and different colleges have different admissions guidelines and also whether or not you even should go to college is an entirely separate conversation but yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of colleges love homeschoolers for exactly what you just described like uh, homeschoolers are not always but often coming into college already having these skills that you just described struggling with in your first year that's definitely yeah. a known thing and so there's a lot of um data that you can start to piece together about that for sure yeah, yeah. the college one i i've said this since like the the moment like my first born the son was born and uh and i it's still i still think this today it might change but i don't think any of my kids will be going to college or university personally i just i can't see it yeah anyways but we'll see what's well, less and less i wanted to put that out there to see if it's it's still true 20 years from now yeah i think we'll it's see. i find it really funny maybe funny is too flippant a word i find it fascinating and kind of weird when people are talking about 
like they're about to have kids or they have very young kids and they're talking about um, contributing to 529 funds. And it's so weird to me because it feels like such a gamble because Mm -hmm. the world is going to be so different in 18 years when your kid's ready to go to school. And the assumption that college is going to be relevant feels very precarious to me. And granted, I'm coming from a very weird perspective, very abnormal perspective, where I was educated entirely outside of the system and I did not go to college. And I worked for a college alternative program for like six years. So I have a lot of um, kind of a biased data set around how the world works and what is possible and what is relevant but also i find it very hard to imagine that college degrees are really going to be all that relevant in in 18 years because when you think about what college is supposed to do it's supposed to it's designed to be a central nucleus for information that was the original purpose of a university was to be a place where you could have this hub of academia and learning and books and information because at the time people were living in a very information scarce world. So you needed these central hubs and that's no longer Mm -hmm. true. Like all of MIT's courses are online for free. You have wide open access to information. You can Google anything and you go down enough rabbit holes and you find enough people to contact. And eventually the internet can get you to pretty much any piece of information that you require. So college is a, as a, as a physical hub for information entirely obsolete. Um, college also serves the purpose of job training and it does a very poor job at that. Most people have to go learn a bunch of stuff after they get out of college to be able to actually effectively do their job. Um, it's losing its, its importance or its monopoly as a credential because more and more college, more and more companies are waiving their degree requirement and more and more people are realizing that there are other ways to build a portfolio and build your credibility without going the traditional paper credentialing route and the cost is insane and it's expanding really quickly the amount that the 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 rate at which college costs have inflated is ridiculous when you look at it and the the payoff just isn't there so i think i totally agree everything you said I, i i overall in a nutshell i think the like the value benefit is like diminishing over time yeah. at a pretty significant rate. That's how I see yeah. it. And it's so even, I can only imagine by the time my kids are, yeah, are there, it's going to be. I agree. And even from a, even from the standpoint of like building a network, which is one of the things that people come back to, you like, well, you need the college experience. You need to make college friends. The internet kind of replaces that too. It's a lot easier to find yeah. the relevant people that you need to build a network in your career of choice. So I really think, I actually think college has been dead for like 20 years. I think that yeah, when I, I have to agree with when you. computers became a standard fixture in the average home, like most people were online, college became obsolete. And honestly, it, I think it became obsolete. Like it's it's death warrant was signed the minute the first computer came online, but it's not like it it died for sure when like it's in it's in hospice care now it's just in denial about it and we're all in denial too 
Um, nobody's accepted yeah, yet I, that it's going, but it's, yeah. I think it's going. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. And coming from someone with literally a, a university degree hanging right there. So <laughs> whatever. Where did you go um, to school? Uh, in Ryerson University in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. And you? Uh, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't at all. I, not a, okay. not a day of college. Almost could nice. say not a day of normal school too, but then I duly enrolled it. <laughs> yeah in high school so i waived my right to say that but it was totally hopefully hopefully like 10 years from now uh what you've gone through is normal right so like the the thought will be reversed i hope so that's i I certainly hope it's more prevalent (laughs) at the very least like i'm not here to argue that my experience was perfect that everybody should do what i did by any means but i think the the base ideas that governed the direction that my education has taken are pretty universal i think my parents got a few things really right giving me the self-direction and letting me chase my curiosities and giving me the space to take ownership progressively as i went through my basically the process of growing up and considering themselves to be facilitators instead of teachers i think and letting me take a very goals driven goals-oriented approach to education. I think those things are very fundamentally beneficial to most people and they can take you in a lot of different directions. Education can look very different for very for various people and yeah. I think that's really awesome. But I would love to see a lot more people get to have an education experience that's governed by those things because yeah. that is a really beneficial experience and Definitely. far more beneficial than public school could ever be <laughs> yeah for sure um so i know we are cutting it short but i do have uh some some questions so i want to yeah. talk to uh just parents right now who are just have these questions and are you know maybe like in my case kids are starting school soon so uh, there, there there definitely seems to be at least in, in my area more alternative schooling options coming up it seems to be um you know just just more out there now compared to ever before. What what are some of the things parents should be considering when exploring these alternative options? I think there's a couple things. Um, one, take everything that you think you know about education and throw it out the window and assume none of it's relevant and then slowly piece back together what you actually believe actually matters about an education because it's really easy to just sort of grandfather in a bunch of assumptions that aren't relevant so like be really deliberate about questioning everything that you think you know about how education is supposed to work because there's a lot of assumptions that most of us are carrying around that are not necessarily accurate anymore um but i would think about your kid and their proclivities and their interests and their goals uh, goals more if they're like an older kid when you're when you have a kindergartner it's kind of hard to think about your kids life goals as <laughs> a driving force of their education but you can think about like are they more social are they more like do they prefer to work on things alone do they seem to really thrive when we go out into the world and we take them places where they can interact with their peers or they tend to really thrive like being at home working in a really self-directed manner on their own things yeah. um what are the areas that I think they'd really thrive if they were pushed a little bit and encouraged? Um, when I was, so when I was 
in this Montessori inspired private preschool and kindergarten, um, we didn't know yet that we were going to homeschool. And my, in my kindergarten year, we went and toured a bunch of different schools that we were considering. We went to the local public school and we went to a few different local private schools and we went to some hybrid schools that were like a combination of in-person and homeschooling. We went to a couple Waldorf schools and we just visited them all and we got a sense of what each one offered. And I was there for all of these visits and I got to get a feel for them too. And obviously I wasn't the one making the decision because I was six, but I definitely felt like I was a part of the whole process. And my, I felt like my parents were very open to any thoughts that I had about them too. And I think that's really cool too. Like let your kid be part of the process of go going to check out a bunch of different schools and go visit a bunch of things and that can you know go visit is a relative term if you're looking at all online stuff but you know look at go to online school open houses and see if you can sit in on a class and like really explore the different options and I also would say I, I wouldn't necessarily feel too much pressure about getting it right because there are so many options I really think it's okay to try various things and see which one's the best fit and also your kids interests might change as they go through their elementary school years and their middle school years and they might want to be in an in-person very projects-based environment like Montessori or an Acton Academy when they're in elementary school and then they might get a little older and say actually I'm really interested now in problem solving and like more cerebral type stuff and also I don't really like the kids at my school anymore I kind of want like I'm not enjoying working in person with other people I want to go try synthesis or Sora school something online and you can adjust where they're getting their education based on their needs and you can also do hybrid your own hybrid approach where maybe they're in a forest school a couple days a week and they're doing something online and there's this you're kind of cobbling together multiple options to create the custom fit for your kid i think it doesn't have to be as yeah. rigid you don't have as, to get it right as people might right think away. and there's also a lot yeah. more options out there than people realize and there are a bunch of people working myself included to build better databases and jumping off points for finding this stuff which is really exciting because that's one of the big hurdles. So, I think. Yes. Uh, rebel educator. Right. Yeah. So, um, so that's obviously it. Talk about that. What is that? Like from my, yeah, just yeah. talk about that for a second. Yeah. Rebel educator is a new project we launched in May. Um, and there's, I have a team working with me on this, which is super exciting. Um, we're building um, what we hope to be, a big hub for alternative education and resources on alternative education. We want to build databases of resources, um, everything from like different online apps to different schools that people can use as a jumping off point to educate, like figure out what the best mode is for educating their kids. Um, We want to build a library of case studies about like what it's actually like to do a day in the life at Apprenda micro school and what it's like to do a day of the life at a Sora online school. And 
um, case studies of like projects that kids have actually worked on and seen success doing, like what's actually possible for kids to do when they're in their school years. Um, we want to build a database of kind of the underlying philosophy around alternative education and the different modes of educating your kid that have nothing to do with, again, a lot of the false assumptions of the traditional school system. Um, and right now, like we, we want to be, when somebody says, my kid's really struggling in school, they're not happy, we want their friends to say, oh, you got to go read Rebel Educator. Like that's that's the place to start. That's, that's yeah. the need that we want to fill. That's the purpose we want to serve. Um, so right now we're really active on Twitter. You can find us there. You can find a bunch of our posts at rebeleducator.co. Um, we're on Substack. We have a weekly newsletter that you can sign up for if you want to get resources delivered to your inbox every week. There's a few different channels of content that we're building. Um, and again, the goal is to just answer all of these questions that parents have that right now it's really hard to find answers to because a lot of information is really siloed. And it's not necessarily yeah. obvious where to go to find it. And it's not necessarily easily accessible. Um, we want to solve that problem so that parents can. And I think it, it's it's so needed right now, I think. Yeah. I think what you're doing is amazing. Um, I think it solves uh, such a huge void out there for, for someone like myself who, like, you, you don't know where to start when you're thinking of something that is, like, so kind of taboo in society still and uh, kind of not normal. Uh, so yeah, I, I love what you're doing. Uh, I'll put that all in the notes as well. Rebeleducator.co. Um, question I have again. So is it possible for parents to work full time and homeschool their kids at the same time? Or, or do generally sacrifices have to be made on the, on the work family front? Totally depends on the situation. Um, totally depends on the preferences of the parent there are a number of online school options. So if you want your kids at home and you don't want to give up working and you're able to work remotely and be at home, you can, like, that's a great avenue. Um, and I think remote work has, I think, I think there are two silver linings of COVID in on the education front. One is that remote work became a lot more prevalent and that frees up so many possibilities for homeschooling because if you can work remotely and you can be home with your kids even if you're doing other things you can still be facilitating a great education for them with the right resources and the right obviously like temperaments of the kids and stuff um and it also brought school home for a couple years and it sort of normalized this idea of having our kids at home and i think both of those things have really accelerated a lot of the shifts in education that we're going to see but to actually answer your question um, yes, it's totally possible to work full-time and homeschool your kids, especially again, if you have a remote job and you're able to be home with them. But yeah. I knew growing up, um, parents who got really creative about different ways that they were keeping their kids at home and working. Um, there would be moms who would team up with each other and they'd sort of alternate hours. So one mom would have both yeah. mom's kids and then the other mom, well, while well, the first mom was working and then they switch and the other mom would go work. Yeah. And so you can do things like that. Um, if you have like the parents have, there's two parents involved and they have alternate work schedules. You can make it work like that. You can have grandparents involved where yeah. the kids go hang out with the grandparents some days. I, I think at the end of the day, if this is a route you want to go yeah. down and you believe strongly enough for your kid, like you're going to figure something out. Yeah. Right? If you want it badly enough, I mean, you absolutely will. And there's also so yeah. many options besides homeschooling 
that still aren't traditional school. Um, like micro schools are, um, there's a really great company. They're only US based right now and they're only in a handful of states because of the way that they work legally. Um, but they're working on expanding hopefully pretty quickly. It's called Prenda. And they What's it called? facilitate the building of micro schools. Um, so basically like usually it's a parent who will start a micro school and they'll have their kids in it. And then a bunch of kids from like the neighborhood or their friends, kids or whatever. And it'll be like about 10 kids per micro school and it's mixed grade levels and the way Prenda works. Um, they're actually working with this. What was the name you're saying? Prenda? Prenda. P-R-E-N-D-A. Okay. Prenda. Okay, Prenda right. micro schools. Um, they're, they work with states to get the same type of funding that charter schools get, like by students, mm. so that they're actually able to pay the parent who's teaching the micro school. Like it becomes a job for the parent. And then like all of these, they have curriculum and stuff that they're they're that they're providing for these kids to work through um and that's that's one model of micro schools but there's a lot of other different ways that people set up micro schools so like you can look for a local micro school or you can start one like maybe maybe you leave your current job but you start a business teaching kids instead like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different avenues that you can take if you want to get your kids out of the system yeah no i love it um so what's your like final message for, for those parents that, you know, for the parents that don't want to or have questions or don't want to put their kids in the traditional school system or questioning it, but, but don't have the time or resources to look at alternatives. Um, what's your message to those parents, first of all, and, and, and where, where can they go to, to tap into more information? And I, you already mentioned a bunch of good, like the book you, you recommended, um, obviously rebeleducator.co, but what's your message to those parents who are strongly considering, but just don't know how to, to break through the taboo? Yeah. Um, a couple things. It's definitely, there are a lot more resources out there for this than people realize a lot more resources and it's a lot more accessible than most people think. Um, anything, everything that you need to educate your kids k through 12 is available for free online like khan academy alone will cover all of your math requirements all your science requirements there's so much out there it's a lot people make it sound really terrifying to educate your kids at home but it's a lot easier than most people think and i hear that again and again from parents who have made the leap that they're so surprised that it's actually been so much smoother than they thought it was going to be um yeah And there are a lot of creative ways to design an education that fits both your child's needs and also your needs as the facilitator um, and allows you to to really tailor the way that your kid's education is structured around the needs of the whole family. Um, And there's a lot of parents who are really afraid of getting it wrong. And I think for most parents that's coming from a really great place and it's probably a really good thing that they care so much about that, but also your chances of screwing it up are way lower than you think because you can always adjust along mm-hmm. the way and your kids are learning these fundamental skills that they don't learn in school at all, like how to direct, how to design their own education and how to own their own learning process that will serve them. Those are skills that they'll take through for the rest of their lives. And anything that you happen to miss in their education 
they'll know how to pick up along the way. And I would think I would consider your lack of expertise as a feature, not a bug, because your kids get to see you figuring this out and they get to watch you learning how to teach them. And mm -hmm. in that process, they are learning how to learn on a deeper and more meta level than just by them going and figuring something out for themselves. And what you're teaching them by not having all the answers, but figuring it out is that it's okay to not know everything when you start and that you're, you're showing them again and again how to figure things out for themselves and how to learn to the need, not just the test and how to learn when there isn't a standard curriculum in front of them. And that is a more important skill and a more important lesson than anything they would learn in 12 years of traditional school. So it's okay to not have all the answers before you start. It's actually a good thing. And I would also say yeah. that being homeschooled is hands down the best thing that ever happened to me. And I am eternally grateful. And my education came with lots of bugs and lots of flaws and lots of problems and lots of things that we look back on and we're like, wow, we definitely would not do that that way if we were to do it again. And there were seasons where I hardly had any friends and I was incredibly lonely. And there were seasons where I would really uh, not so great at doing my schoolwork and my mom would threaten to send me to school. And I'd be like, no, don't send me to school. Fine, I'll go do it. And there were some really hard times. And it still was such an incredibly huge net positive and I am so grateful for it and there were lots of times when my parents weren't sure I was going to turn out okay at all and I'm a very happy adult living a successful life having a successful career running a business like I'm I'm doing okay so mm -hmm. your kids probably will too and if you have questions you can reach me at my personal twitter account at Hannah Frankman you can reach me. I run the Rebel Educator Twitter account, so you can DM me there at Rebel Educator, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. It's actually really helpful when I get questions because it kind of gives me more context on what maybe some of the most important things are for me to be talking about to answer people's questions. So feel free to reach out. I'm happy to answer questions that people have. I'm always happy to talk to parents who want to take the leap um, and support however I can. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out to me too. Love it. I love it. And Hannah, this was, I'm so glad we were able to connect. This was um, a very insightful and encouraging conversation, I think. And uh, I, I can't wait to share it with people because, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of other parents and uh, a lot of parents have questions uh, right now. And I think it's such a relevant time. And you're, you, the work you're doing is, is amazing. It's needed. And, and keep it up. You're doing incredibly important work right now. I strongly believe that. And um, so thank you for that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. This was a really fun conversation. You ask really great questions. And I'm really excited <laughs> for your so. kids too, that this is something that you're still so early in the parenting journey and you're thinking about all of this stuff. And this is all like top of mind for yeah. you. It makes me really excited about the education experience that you're going to design for your kids too. They're very lucky to have you. Totally. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely stay in touch. That's for sure. And um, again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And we'll, we'll definitely do this again sometime. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, all the best. We'll talk soon. Same to you.